Vince Bercogliano is back on Locked On New York Rangers. We are talking all things Ranger hockey. How are the Rangers dealing with the recent skid? And what might the Rangers do at the deadline? You're locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 994 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick, joined by my good friend, Vince Mercagliano, back on the show. Vince, I know we've been uh, trying to make this happen for some time here, but uh, lo and behold, we, we pulled it off here. And um, first thing I wanted to ask you about, man, obviously, Philip Heedle, just a really tough situation that, you know, goes beyond the game of hockey, obviously dealing with concussions and everything. And, um, you know, certainly at a certain point today, I want to ask you about what the Rangers might do at the deadline. But for starters, you know, just the human aspect of this, I mean, losing Philip Heedle, who certainly seems like a popular member of that locker room and somebody who, you know, plays an important role for them. So, I mean, just your thoughts on, you know, Philip Heedle and, you know, how tough of a blow is that, you know, just to the morale from the human aspect uh, to the locker room there? Yeah, John, well, thanks for having me. And I definitely apologize for, especially the hiccup last week in San Jose when we tried to do this. That's what I get. I guess no we're trying to rely on what I, yeah, that's what I get for trying to rely on public Wi-Fi. But yeah, glad we get to do it and chat today. And yeah, on the Heedle thing, I mean, you know, it, it's been this is probably in a lot of ways been one of the most difficult things that I've covered, like you said, from the human aspect, from that human element of it. Just because this is a guy who, you know, I've watched now for five years grind and really put everything into trying to be the best player that he can be. My first year here was that year when he got sent to Hartford to begin the year and had to spend a month there and really put his head down and went to work and quickly earned his way back up and has kind of been a fixture in the lineup ever since then. He's had some ups and downs. I think the production wasn't there for a few years the way that I know he especially was hoping for it to be. And then he has that breakout last year. But talking to him in the preseason this year, talking to him early in the season, he really felt like he was not satisfied with that. He really felt like he was just starting to scratch the surface. And I, I wrote a little column about this the other day. You can say this about pretty much any professional athlete when you talk about commitment and work ethic and those type of things. But Heedle, in my mind, just being around the Rangers for the last five years, he's a guy who always, I noticed, sort of went above and beyond. You talk about a guy who's the first one on the ice and the last one off. That was kind of Heedle's MO. It seemed like consistently when we would be walking out of practice, like the way that practice generally works is players after it's done will hang on the ice. They'll shoot around a little bit. They'll sort of do their own thing, maybe some face-off work, maybe some skill work, and they'll trickle off. And the policy is that once the first guy comes off the ice, five minutes after that, the locker room will open for the media. So what will happen is, uh, one guy will come off, others will start to trickle off, and we'll make our way into the locker room, and we'll generally spend 20, maybe at most 30 minutes on a long day in the locker room, chatting with players, gathering interviews for stories that we're doing. And what would happen a lot is we would leave the locker room after those 20, 30 minutes, and there would be maybe one or two or three guys still on the ice, and Philip Hedel was very often one of those guys who was out there with the skills coach or with some teammates putting in extra work. But he was also a guy who talked a lot. And actually, you know, I can tell you last year, every year the media votes, they, we call it the good guy award. And that's the guy who is accessible, who 
is the most understanding about sort of being accountable and being there for interviews and and helps us out a lot over the course of the year. Now, we're only allowed to vote for the same guy once. So once a guy wins it, he's eliminated from contention the next year. But last year, Heedle was the winner of that award. So that goes to tell you that he was a guy that we felt like was pretty candid, was pretty honest, was pretty accessible. And I always found it refreshing to talk to him. I felt like Heedle was a guy who didn't really hold back. Like he would tell you what was on his mind in a refreshing way. And a conversation that I've thought back on a lot in recent weeks was a conversation that I had with him right when the season started this year. And remember, he started the season on that second line playing with Artemi Panarin, which was an opportunity I know that he coveted. And I was asking about, wow, you must feel good. This shows that the team trusts you. This shows that the new coaching staff is putting some faith in you. This shows that you've earned your way up in the lineup. And his response, I used the quote in my column the other day, was nothing is for free in this league. I've got to keep earning it. And basically was saying, you know, this doesn't mean anything to me if I don't keep it. And he really seemed like a guy in training camp who was scratching and clawing and working as hard as he possibly could to continue his elevation. He felt like there was still a lot more upside there. So a guy that has that kind of work ethic, and you talk about, I I got into talking about this kind of stuff with him over the years, diet, the way he takes care of his body, his workout routine, his, his routine for eating. I mean, him and Chris Kreider, I would say, of all the guys in that locker room, have the, the biggest reputation for being meticulous about what they put in their body and how they maximize their performance through their food and things like that. So he's just a guy who I felt like was doing everything he could to maximize his ability and maximize his talent. And it showed, A, how much he cared, and then, B, how driven he was to get the most out of it, how much he loves this game, how passionate he was for this career. And I think that shows you why he was so determined to come back this season prior to that setback on Friday. And it shows you why now still, if you looked at that Instagram post that he put out the other the other day, that he's still talking about aiming to come back next season. So there's a lot of concerns about his long-term health, for sure, when you're talking about brain injuries. And I definitely have legitimate questions about will he be able to do this, but it's not my place. It's not anybody's place to tell him to give up on that dream yet. So let's hope the best for him. But just from that human side of it, knowing how much he's poured into it, knowing how much he cares about it, knowing how much he loves the game from that standpoint, I think for myself, definitely for his teammates, definitely for people that I've talked to in the organization, this has just been a really kind of sad ordeal to see him going through these struggles recently, because these injuries are so unpredictable. You don't know how you're going to recover. And my understanding is that with each concussion he's had, the symptoms have gotten worse. And, and that's a really, really scary thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's one of those things, uh, you know, it's, it's just like you said, I think you put it best. It's just kind of a sad situation where, you know, this is somebody that's obviously busted his tail. And I mean, anybody that makes it to the NHL, you know, they're, they're working their tail off to get there. But I mean, it sounds like even compared to some of his peers, he even stands out in that way. And um, you know, the, the fact that he won, what is it? The accessibility award that you guys give out? Is that what you, it's called the, the good guy award. They call it. Good guy. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I have seen that one floating around every now and then. Um, but yeah, the fact that he wins at the age of 24 and, uh, I think that's really impressive in its own right. And obviously, you know, I, I think I speak for myself, Vince Ranger fans everywhere. When we say, you know, all the best to Filipino and, um, you know, you hope he can get back, but obviously health is, uh, has got to come first. 
All right, we just want to take a minute to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we talk for just a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. This is scary. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to anybody. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important than right now to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off of your order. And today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is also brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Um, To kind of shift to, you know, what that creates for the Rangers going forward. I mean, everybody's kind of uh, wondering what they're going to do at the deadline and how does this affect things? You know, Heedle's not going to come back now. So, you know, going through the season and, and seeing what their needs might be, I've kind of been torn between either center or right wing. And, you know, there's some Ranger fans that might want a defenseman. But um, with Philip Heedle going down, I feel like, you know, the, the Rangers' biggest need at this point is somebody that at the very least can center the third line. There's reports that they might want two centers. Um, what are you hearing as far as, you know, their, their biggest targets and, um, you know, just, just what do you personally think the Rangers need the most? Well, even before the setback from Heedle, just cause of the unpredictability of his situation, I still think center was their top priority a week ago. And now it's even more of a priority that they know that he's out for the season. So absolutely. I believe they're going to bring in a center could be. Two centers, you know, they do have pretty ample cap space now. That is the one silver lining here is that they get by cap friendly's estimate about $5.2 million now to spend at the trade deadline. So that will help them, I think, address multiple needs. I think you're probably going to see multiple trades. You know, I've heard this debate now from fans and I've seen it and I get it to some degree. A lot of questions have emerged in the last couple months. The Rangers have really not been playing great hockey for about half of their games now. It's been yeah. a stretch of 26 games. That that marker that we've used a lot of times is December 5th because they were 18-4-1 before December 5th, and they are basically have only won 12 of 26 games since then. So that's that's more than half their season to this yeah. point. It's a really, it's not a small sample size anymore where they've had a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of flaws that I think have been exposed. Some of those flaws were questions that we had coming into the season. And we felt like based on the way they played in those first couple of months, they had sort of 
put some of those things behind them, but now they've, they've come back into play, whether it's defending against the rush, whether it's their problems with turnovers that fuel those rushes coming back for the opposing teams, whether it's their ability to produce enough offense at five on five beyond that one line with Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere. The goaltending, that was not a question coming into the season, but now increasingly it has been. So I get the people who are saying, or questioning how good is this team? Is this really a championship team? I think that's a very valid question. I am not sold that they are a championship team, but what I do know is that they are a playoff team. I absolutely believe that this team is still destined to make the playoffs. I think that they are probably not as good as they looked in that beginning part of the season. I don't think any team is that good. I don't think any team was going to be able to maintain that kind of a pace, but I also don't think they're as bad as we've seen recently. I mean, just think about Igor Shesterkin. He's now going into the All-Star break with an 899 save percentage. He's struggled. There are very legitimate concerns about him. I worry about mentally how much weight he puts on himself. I think that we've seen repeatedly now he gets into these slumps. He gets himself into this sort of bad headspace where he'll struggle for extended periods of time. And I think that that's a concern. But we also know that this is not an 899 save percentage goalie. And if the goaltending had been better during the stretch of the last two months, would they have only won 12 of their last 26? I tend to think the record would probably be better if even Igor was at like a 9-10 save percentage, which you expect at some point he's going to raise his level. We've seen him kind of get hot and cold in the last couple of years. I mean, the playoffs last year, I thought he was their best player and he figured it out as the season went on last year. So assuming the goaltending will get better, I do think that the wins will increase at some point, I again, I don't think they're going to go on another 18-4-1 clip, but this is a team that's still first place in the Metro Division. You size up that Eastern Conference right now. Boston is clearly the front runner, but the Rangers have beat them twice. The Rangers are still sitting third overall in the conference. And overall, when you look at this conference, do you? there's a lot of different contenders, but are there that many real powerhouse teams? I don't think so right now. And... Look at the history since Chris Drury has taken over this team. The owner, James Dolan, completely turned the front office on its head a couple of years ago, or three, almost three years ago now, when he fired JD and he fired Jeff Gorton, who was the architect of the rebuild. Now, you know that that sent a message that he expects them to win now. The mandate is there. And you saw Chris Drury act accordingly the last few years. Look at how aggressive he has been at the last few trade deadlines. So I find it hard to believe that with this team sitting in first place, with the core of this team, and this is a really important point that a few sources I've talked to recently have made to me, the core of this team, the highly paid veterans on this team, Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocek, Jacob Truba, for better or worse, those are the guys that the Rangers have committed to. And they are all 30 or older. Truba's turning 30 in a few weeks. The rest of them are 30 or older. Waiting another year is not going to help those guys. Not a, nobody, I don't think, is interested in putting this thing off. So you have a first-place team that's marching toward the playoffs right now. You have an Eastern Conference that looks winnable, and you have an aging core. Not that they're super old yet, but you expect at some point in their 30s, these guys will start to decline. So, And you know that you have this sort of mandate from ownership. The reason Chris Drury was brought in here was to aggressively pursue a championship with this year, by the way, being the 30th anniversary of their last Stanley Cup in 1994. So all of these things add up to a team that I believe is going to be aggressive. Now, 
Does aggressive mean that you're going to sell the farm? Does it mean you're going to be throwing out first round picks like candy? Does it mean you're going to trade your top prospects like Gabe Perot or Brennan Offman? Not necessarily. I certainly don't think the top prospects like Perot or Offman are going anywhere. Chris Drury's track record is that he prefers to trade picks over prospects. You, you look at the, the history with the last few deadlines, that has been his tendency, and I believe that that will remain the case. I think some mid-level prospects could be on the table for sure, but again, the Perros and the Offens, those kind of guys, I don't think they're going anywhere. The first-round pick is going to be interesting because I don't think there's a whole lot of guys who are rumored to be on the market right now that the Rangers would give up that first-round pick for. Uh, you know, if you're talking about a third line type center, like Sean Moynihan has been rumored out there. I think that's kind of a long shot. Anyway, I checked in with somebody about this yesterday and they think the likelihood of the Rangers and the Canadians doing a deal is pretty low based on sort of the bad blood between Gorton and the Rangers, since they let him go so unceremoniously. So I think Moynihan is probably a long shot. The name that I've had come up in a few conversations recently is Adam Henrique from the Anaheim Ducks, who I think would represent an upgrade for their third-line center role, but I also don't think that he's the type of player that Drury would be willing to give up a first-round pick for. Now, if you can give up a middle-round pick, maybe a second-round pick, you know, then I think they would entertain that type of a deal. The one guy who's out there in rumors right now who I think is absolutely going to cost a first-round pick and I think would really strengthen the Rangers. I mean, this is probably the most impactful move that they could make. The question is, you know, how fierce is the competition going to be? Because I think a lot of teams are going to be looking for this guy. And that would be Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames. He's a center who checks a lot of boxes. Talk about a guy who's finished in the top 10 in the Selkie Award voting Three times, I believe, in his career. You're talking about a guy who's been close to a point-per-game player for Calgary. So I feel like you know he's a guy that there absolutely should be some interest in from the Rangers, and I do believe that there is. The question is, are they going to be willing to pay that hefty price tag for him? Perhaps more likely what you're going to see is a series of moves, multiple moves involving maybe some mid-round draft picks, maybe a mid-level prospect or two to address multiple needs, absolutely bring in a center, absolutely bring in a right winger. I think those would be the top two priorities. I think ideally they'd like to bring in two forwards would be what, what they're looking at. And now, you know, they have the cap space to do it. And the reality is when, when you're talking about targets, it's, it's a bit of a guessing game. Now, Henrique again is a name that's come up in a few of my conversations. Lindholm is a guy that I think a lot of people believe the Rangers would have some interest in. There's a few other teams that I wrote about recently. Seattle Kraken, that's a team where I think they have a few interesting guys on their roster. And if they decide that they're going to be sellers, which is very much up in the air right now, as it is with a lot of teams, I think Seattle would be a team I would keep an eye on because there's probably three or four guys on that roster who might make some sense. Maybe you could do a two for one kind of a deal with a team like that. But the reality is that, you know, Chris Drury is notoriously pretty tight lipped about this. And I'm sure that they're exploring a lot of different options and it's probably still going to be at least a couple of weeks until that comes into focus. But as far as, is he going to try to upgrade this roster? I absolutely believe that he will for a lot of the reasons that we stated. Absolutely. And uh, it's actually kind of funny that you mentioned some of those players. I did an episode last week where I was looking at different centers the Rangers could trade for. And uh, two of them that I mentioned were indeed uh, Henrique and Monaghan. But it sounds like uh, there's certainly no love lost between uh, JD and the Rangers. And I guess Monaghan might be uh, 
heading somewhere else. But um, the, the, the one thing, I'll, the one thing I'll say on Monahan, I mentioned the Rangers. I don't think would give up a first round pick for a guy like that, and right. so I think that right off the bat probably makes it unlikely. But I was also told by a source that they wouldn't completely dismiss. It's not like Montreal would say, no matter what, we're not doing a deal with the Rangers, but I was told for them to do a deal with the Rangers, the Rangers would probably have to pay a premium. They would probably have to pay well above what other teams are offering. And with them not wanting to offer a first round pick for a guy like that, I think all those factors lead up to that being unlikely, even though otherwise he's a guy who definitely would make some sense. Yeah. I mean, I like Monaghan, but I mean, first rounder, it feels a little steep and, I don't know that that just seems like a hefty price to pay, especially when you consider they get somebody and I realize Patrick Kane's on the back nine now, but they didn't even give up a first round for him last year. You give up one this year for Monaghan. That seems like a little bit much, but um, one quick follow-up question though, would they give up a first for Lindholm? Do you think that's on the table? And do you think that's what it would, would that have to be part of the package to get Lindholm? I think pretty much anybody who's going to trade for him because it sounds to me like it's going to be very competitive is probably going to have to give up a first round pick for him. So yeah, I, I think that's probably the one player that you look at right now who at least is mentioned out there a lot that a lot of people believe will be traded. He's probably the one that would rise to that level of you would expect that to be a first round pick. Now, another option might be and we've seen the Rangers do this before, one of those conditional picks. They did this with Andrew Kopp a few years ago where it's a second-round pick, but if the Rangers make it to X round in the playoffs, like let's say Eastern Conference Final or Stanley Cup Final, then that pick would elevate to a first-rounder. I, I think that that is something that I would keep an eye on for sure because we've seen that Jury likes to do that, and then that puts you in a position where if the playoff run that you are hoping for doesn't materialize, at least you hold on to your first round pick. But if it does, then I think you feel a little bit better about potentially giving that up. Yeah. I want to say there was even one of those last year. I definitely remember the one with cop and I don't remember like if it was Kane or it's, it was something, if the Rangers got out of the first round that a second round would become a first round. I think that was in there somewhere. Just want to take a minute to let you guys know that today's episode of locked on New York Rangers is brought to you by factor. Get started on your resolutions with factor. So you are ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door with over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons. You'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Forget frantic lunch preps and rush dinners. Factors two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up with restaurant-quality meals, all delivered right to your door. Factor now offers loads of snack options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep you going no matter what's on the schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash LockedOnNHL50 and use code locked on NHL 50 to get 50% off. That's code locked on NHL 50 at factormeals.com slash locked on NHL 50 to get 50% off. I do want to ask you for sure also while we're talking uh, trade targets here, you know, a lot of Ranger fans, they're interested in a reunion with somebody like either Frank Vetrano, Vladimir Tarasenko, and um, you know, Tarasenko is an impending UFA. You got to figure he'll be dealt with Ottawa going nowhere. Um, Vitrano could go either way, depending on if the Ducks feel like they can compete next year because he's under contract for one more year. Um, but any thoughts on that? Are there any like whispers uh, within the Ranger organization where 
you know, maybe they'd be interested or do you personally think there'd be any interest or any fit with one of those players or any other former Ranger out there? I know both of those guys, the Rangers were generally happy with what they got from them, but Toronto worked really well on that line with Zabanajad and Kreider. So I know that's why a lot of Rangers fans point to him. Tarasenko seems a little bit more realistic because of the contract situation, because he's on an expiring contract, but that would be a, a deal where it would probably require Ottawa to retain some of the salary. I believe that if they're going to devote a larger chunk of that 5.2 million that we're talking about to any position, it's going to be center. So that is one of the things that, that kind of brings me a little bit of pause is I feel like they're probably going to prioritize. We need to get a center first and foremost, and that's where more of that cap space is likely to go toward. And then a winger, it might be more of a bottom six type of winger, or at least a winger who doesn't cost as much as a guy like Tarasenko or a guy like Vitrano. I will say this, as far as the Rangers acquiring a guy who's under contract beyond this year, I think that's a little bit more feasible now than it had be had been the past couple of years because the past couple of years, if you looked at their situation with the salary cap, we knew that they were going to be really tight going into the offseason, and we knew that they had some pretty big-time RFAs who were going to need to get paid that offseason. This year, there are some, for sure, Capo Caco is a guy that is going to be on an expiring contract. Ryan Lindgren is a guy who needs a new contract. Braden Schneider is a guy who needs a new contract. But by my rough cap projections, I have the Rangers with 15 guys under contract for next season and just under 15 million in available salary cap space. Remember, the salary cap is projected to go up to about $87.7 million next season. So that would be the biggest jump that we've seen in years. So I think it's a little more manageable if you were to get a guy who is under contract for next year at a couple million dollars a year, maybe. Vetrano, I believe, is three point something. I don't know if that would be a little bit too rich for the Rangers' blood, but I think they probably could make it work if they felt like that was a guy who they really wanted to have beyond this season. So it's not a possibility that I would completely rule out. But again, I do believe that center is kind of the main area that they're looking for. I think if you look at this lineup right now, right wing, clearly you have concerns. Lafreniere, we feel like is pretty comfortable in that spot on the right wing with Panarin and Trocek and Laviolette has made it clear. He doesn't really want to mess with those guys. That top line right winger obviously has been a problem since Pavel Buchnevich left. Vitrano worked there for a little bit, you know, between Capo Caco and Blake Wheeler, I think for at least the time being, the Rangers are going to try to get away with one on the first line, one on the third line, and then hope that they bring in somebody at the trade deadline who could sort of compete with those guys a little bit. But I, I still think that if you're looking at this lineup, that third line center void, they just waived Nick Benino for a reason because they gave him a long run there and it didn't work out. I think Johnny Brodzinski, they've come to value as maybe like a 13th forward kind of a guy, but I don't think on a Stanley Cup contending team, he's going to be your third line center. So I, I do believe that third line center is the number one priority. That's where they're likely to devote most of their resources, most of their cap space. And then I think they'd like to add a right winger as well, but whether they're going to go for one of those higher priced guys like a Tarasenko, that might be a little bit of a stretch. Again, I wouldn't rule it out because I do believe that they think highly of both of those guys, but I think the center thing is probably going to be the first domino to fall. And then you'd probably be looking for a little more of a cost effective right wing. 
Makes sense. And, uh, you know, throughout this episode, you know, we're talking about trade targets and everything. And obviously, uh, kind of a hot button topic for Ranger fans right now is that top line. And there's all this debate about who should be the top line right winger. But then there's also this other debate, you know, should you split up Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider? Because, you know, they've kind of come under fire from Ranger fans a little bit recently. It's a little bit inconsistent this year, 5v5. Uh, for a while, it looked like they were getting out of it, and now they've kind of gotten cold again. So just your thoughts on that. I mean, is it time to try something different? You know, I threw out the idea of maybe you just flip-flop Cooley and Kreider for a couple of games and just see how that goes, give Cooley some run on the top line and, and drop Kreider down, or do you stick stick it out with those two and, and just let them hopefully, uh, you know, get back to the players that we all know them to be? Yeah, it, it, it's a tough question because I do think that that line has struggled to have consistent scoring. That's really the main thing. Because you look a lot of their defensive metrics as far as the Kreider Zibanejad line, they're actually pretty solid. They give up way less defensively than that Panarin Trocheck line does. But if they're your, whether you want to call it number one line, number two line, obviously they've been used more like a number two line this year, although they do draw a lot of the tougher defensive assignments. But I, I you'd like more offense out of that line. There's no doubt about it. And that has been way too inconsistent. So I don't think it's a terrible idea to maybe give them some time apart, see if that sparks them, see if you could find something somewhere else. The thing is, in order to do that, I think you would have to break up that Panarin-Trocek-Lafreniere line. And I don't sense, I mean, he's outwardly said it, that LaViolette is willing to do that. I think he thinks that they've been too effective together and he doesn't want to go down that road. What I've written about was I would be curious to try Zabanajad in between Panarin and Lafreniere. Because I get not wanting to break up Panarin and Lafreniere. I think playing with Panarin has been great for Lafreniere. I think of all the young forwards on this team, he's certainly been the most effective. I mean, pretty much hands down with Capo Caco and Philip Hedel both missing significant time. So Lafreniere is, I don't know if we can call it a breakout season, but he's definitely having his best season as a Ranger. And I think if you watch him play, and also if you look at some of the underlying numbers, like he leads the team last I checked in individual high danger scoring chances, he's getting into those grade A scoring areas on the ice. He's not converting them quite as much as you would like to. I think he's up to 12 goals. So he's on pace to still have a pretty decent goal output, but you feel like there's more on the table. Regardless of all that, though, I I think that they really like the way that he's playing with Panarin. He just looks more assertive. He looks more aggressive. I think he has a better feel for the game right now than he ever has. And just in talking to those two guys, I think they really enjoy playing together. So I wouldn't want to split them up. I get that. But maybe putting them uh, on the outside of Zabanaja with Mika in the middle, maybe that would get Mika going a little more offensively. And then if you look back last year, Kreider and Trocek had an extended run together where they had a lot of success. I think there was like a, I looked this up recently. It was like close to 20 games in a row that they played together. And in that span, they outscored opponents. I believe it was 19 to eight. So that duo has had some success together. That's something that I would have entertained. I just don't think that LaViolette is going to do that. And so if you're not going to go down that road, what are the alternatives? Because I don't see them dropping Kreider down to the third line. If you're really determined to break up Zabanajad and Kreider, that seems like not the route they're going to go. So for better or worse, it seems like LaViolette is going to continue to just try different right wingers there until something sticks. And, and you've got these two sides of the coin. You've got Capo Caco, where a lot of the analytics look really good. 
they dirt they certainly have not allowed a whole lot of goals against when they've been on the ice together the possession numbers are good the shot rates are good when they're on the ice together it just hasn't resulted in a whole lot of goals i feel like laviolette was a little bit quick to pull the plug on that it seemed like something he was seeing from kako in those first five or six games when he came back from the injury laviolette clearly did not like because there was a couple games where he moved him down in the lineup there was that one game I think it was in Anaheim where he played him only like eight minutes that night. So clearly Laviolette wasn't loving what he was seeing from Kako and decided to move him down. And then on the other side of the coin, Wheeler, just in watching him, the, the speed element certainly has taken a hit over the years. It feels like there's been long stretches where he's ineffective. The analytics certainly don't look good for Wheeler, but the production, as far as the actual goals that that line is producing when Wheeler's on the ice with them, they've been more productive with Wheeler than they have been with Kako, offensively, I'm talking about now. So from that standpoint, I guess, to try Wheeler there for another little stint, especially when it feels like you don't really have many other great options, you know, it's not the craziest thing, although I still don't think it's it's the long-term answer or the look that they should have going into the playoffs. You mentioned Cooley. They looked at that for a very short period of time. The thing to remember about Cooley, he said that he doesn't think it's a big deal making the switch, but he openly admitted that he has never, at any point, at any level in his career, played right wing before. So you're asking a rookie to go and play a different position in a very different role. To me, on a good team, I think Will Cooley is a really solid bottom six guy. But if you're asking him to be a top-line player for you, I question how deep that lineup is. I think he's best served in a role where he's chipping in some offense and playing that physical style and defending and forechecking and doing those things that he does well in a role that that's well-suited for those type of things. So you could try him in a spurt there, I guess. But I, I think, again, for me, if I'm looking ahead, he's best served in a bottom six role. And then the only other guy who I guess I would entertain looking at in that spot is Jimmy VC. I think he's proven that he's a valuable player. I think he's proven that he's a really good value on that contract that they have him for only paying him $800,000 a year. And he's been effective offensively. I think he's got like eight goals this season or something like that, which is right up there with anybody in the bottom six. He's been one of the only offensive producers in the bottom six for them all season besides Cooley. So VC, I guess you could try there, but again, is that really your long-term solution? Is that really what you want going into the playoffs? Ideally, they bring in a guy in a trade who will add to that mix. I mean, ultimately, I've said this many times. I feel like the guy who kind of has to earn his way into that spot is Capo Caco. And I felt like what they probably should have done when he came back from injury was stapled him there for a number of weeks, at least leading up to the trade deadline, and see if he can finally get his footing, finally build some confidence, finally generate some momentum in that spot, knowing that the wheels weren't going to be yanked out. Cause I think that that's part of it too. I feel like just in talking to him, he's constantly looking over his shoulder, wondering when is the next time that he's going to get dropped down in the lineup. And I think that that maybe plays into him being a little tentative or more tentative than he should be. So I feel like you drafted this guy number two overall. He's clearly the biggest upside play that you have in that spot. Why not give him a number of weeks? And if by the time the trade deadline comes, if he's still not getting it done, then at that point you have to just maybe say, okay, well, we've given this guy ample opportunity. He hasn't earned it. We have to move him down and go in a different direction. I would understand it at that point. But I just felt like those five, six games is all he got coming off of that injury where he hadn't played for a month and a half to, to, 
to demote him that quickly, I don't know if that was the right move, in my opinion. But I also feel like there's really, the more we've dissected this as we've kind of talked through it, there's really no great answer there. Yeah, I was happy to hear you say VZ, though, because I thought I was the only person that had even thrown that out as an idea to maybe put him up there with Mika and Kreider. And, you know, some people get on Mika and Kreider for, you know, having nights where it doesn't look like they're necessarily going full bore. And, I mean, to me, VZ, you know, he's giving you that secondary scoring earlier in the season. And he's one of those guys, man, he's just working his tail off every single shift. So uh, my logic Smart there was maybe- player, too. Yeah, he's a really yeah. he's a really he's one of the smartest players in that lineup. But just from talking to him and picking his brain, this guy knows the game really well. He told me that he wants to coach when he's all said and done. He's a guy who's not going to burn you with bad decisions on the ice. And they've had a lot of guys yeah. in the top six who have burned them with some bad decisions, some costly turnovers, things like that. So it's not the worst idea I've heard. I just wonder, you know, is that is that going to be the answer for a playoff lineup? And, and that's kind of, I guess, the way that I'm viewing it at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Vince, this is a ton of fun as always. I figure I know you got to get out of here pretty soon, but do you have a couple minutes? Just do a couple of uh, answer a couple of questions from some of the listeners here. Yep. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So this one comes to us from Michael. He says, Vince, fast forward to the playoffs. Imagine Igor is as far off his game as he has been lately. Do you think Laviolette sticks with him no matter what, like Gallant did in that series against Pittsburgh, or does he turn to quick more willingly? knowing he's been there and done it before? It's a good question. It's a tough question, but I feel like this team has to ride or die with Igor and get him right. And I think that Laviolette has been committed to doing that because you've seen in recent weeks, even though Igor has been very inconsistent, that we're still only seeing Jonathan Quick play about once a week. And I think that's because he wants to let Igor work his way through this. Now, I know they are very much hoping that this break, this all-star break, this extended time off will give him time to sort of reset and maybe come out of this in a little bit of a better headspace and maybe get the ball rolling again. But look at this team, when they are at their best, it's because they have some of the best goaltending in the world. And Jonathan Quick has been a revelation. He's probably been the most pleasant surprise on this roster, but he's also a guy who's 38 years old now, who has been a guy in LA when he was asked to log a starter's workload, really the last four or five years, if you look at it, was clearly declining and clearly had a big dip in his numbers. And so I think putting too much on his plate at this point is probably not going to be a solution that helps the Rangers gear up for going on the best possible playoff run they can. For them to be at the best in the postseason, you need Igor to be as close to the top of his game as possible. And I think that that is absolutely going to be what they try to do. Igor is is the guy for them. He's under contract for multiple years. He's been their backbone for several years. I don't sense that anybody is giving up on him or thinking about giving up on him at this point. So they're still in first place. There's no reason to panic, I don't think, at this point. And so I think for them, the priority is getting Igor back on track rather than worrying about, well, maybe if we play quick once more a week, we might be able to squeak out an extra win per month or something like that. You know, I I think for them, the much bigger thing is they got to get Igor right because they're going to need Igor once it comes to playoff time. I agree. I mean, you know, if they're going to be the last team standing, it just feels more likely that it's going to be Igor Shosturkin rediscovering his form uh, rather than Jonathan Quick doing it. I mean, it's nice to have Quick in your back pocket if, you know, if there's an injury or something really goes south in the playoffs. And obviously, Quick has been there and done that. But to me, you know, it's got to be the Igor show uh, come playoff time. Um, Also have a question here from Liz. She is the host of the Double Defense Ranger podcast. Uh, Short and sweet here, but 
Uh, do you think Truba should be showing some more leadership right now? Would it make a difference? I think I think behind the scenes, Truba does quite a bit. I think he's very well respected in the locker room. He's usually the first guy to stand up and address the media after a tough loss. So, you know, I, people have talked. I've seen people say, "Oh, should he throw a helmet again?" You know, maybe if they go on more struggles in February and and this rough patch continues and the lose uh, the losses continue to stack up, maybe you might see a little more of a public emotional response from him. But I believe behind the scenes. He is definitely one of the guys who's talking to the group the most. And, you know, I, I think that doing it just in front of the cameras for the sake of appeasing the fans isn't really his number one priority. I, I think that, you know, I, I haven't seen necessarily a lack of leadership or anything like that for him this season. Yeah, it makes sense. And honestly, like the, the skid that they went through last year in the fall, I think it was like getting toward the end of October and into November. I thought, honestly, that was worse than what they're going through now because, I don't I, last year I remember like everybody it felt like they were out there skating around with pianos on their back and this year I mean maybe effort once in a while has been an issue but to me there's times where it's just kind of been a lack of execution and some of the things we talked about earlier you know can't defend the rush uh goaltending hasn't been as good as you would hope and um also you know a, a lack of secondary scoring so I don't know that this is really a throw your helmet and scream at your teammates kind of a situation but I mean I don't know that that's just my take on it and hopefully you know this this break here does them some good. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if throwing a helmet is necessarily going to make Igor all of a sudden snap out of it. Exactly, exactly. So um, here's another question. This one comes to us from New York Rangers for Life uh, from the YouTube comments section here. So the Rangers have had three coaches in the past four years. David Quinn, a teaching coach. Gerard Gallant, a hands-off coach. And now Peter LaViolette. If the Rangers are dealt another first-round exit, at what point does management look at making a significant change with the core? I know it might be hard with the no-move clauses in place, but the onus should then shift onto the players and not the coaches. I agree. I, I've written this before, and, and it's definitely a topic that I plan to dive in a little bit more on in, in recent, or the, I should say the coming weeks. I wrote a column... It was over a year ago now, I want to say. I believe it was coming out of the offseason where they signed Trocek, where I said, look, they essentially have seven guys that they've committed over 60% of their available salary cap space to. And we've mentioned a lot of the names, a lot of these veteran guys. So the, the only two younger guys really in that mix are Adam Fox and Igor Shesterkin. And even Igor, he feels like a young guy, but he's 28. Now, I still believe he's very much in the prime of his career, but they've essentially committed to these seven guys that they're looking at as the guys that have to lead them to what they hope will be a Stanley Cup. And, and I do think that if they have another disappointing finish this season, whether it's a first-round exit or they continue to really struggle in the second half or whatever it might be, and this group does not get it done, that is when I believe that the hard questions will start to be asked. Because Chris Drury very much made his bed with this core. We know initially and I've reported on this as I know others have, that when he first got the job, I think he had these visions of maybe making a bigger splash, maybe strengthening this core. I know that they made a strong effort to try to acquire Jack Eichel and Buffalo and Buffalo ownership in particular, I heard kind of kept moving the finish line when the Rangers maybe thought they had a deal in place and that didn't work out. And then once the Eichel thing didn't happen, and there might've been a few other splashy moves they were looking into at the time, but that was the one that I heard the most about. Once that didn't happen, we saw them make some decisions to say, okay, this core that's in place now, this is the core that we're going to move forward with. They locked up Mika Zibanejad. 
to an extension. They locked up Igor Shosturkin to an extension. They locked up Adam Fox to an extension. They decided to go out and spend really the bulk of their remaining cap space to, to bring in Vincent Trocek, which is looking like a really good deal for them right now. And the previous administration had locked up Jacob Truba, had locked up Chris Kreider. So those core pieces, and Artemi Panarin, by the way, who's the highest paid guy on the team. So those guys, they decided at that point, knowing how limited their cap flexibility was going to be moving forward, they decided these are the guys that we are going to build around. Now, the hope was that the Lafreniers and the Cacos and the Heatles and the Millers, that those guys were all going to rise up and sort of form that whether you want to call it secondary pieces or really rise to the level of big impact players to surround that core and really make this a championship caliber team. That hasn't happened in the way that they were hoping for in a lot of ways. So that's maybe another conversation we could have, but the onus, if this group does not get it done again this year and by get it done, you know, obviously I'm talking about a Stanley cup, but even just go on another successful run. Like if they made the conference finals again, I think they would at least feel like, they were back on track. They accomplished something significant this season. But if they flame out early in the playoffs again, then I think it's going to cause ownership, front office, everybody involved to look in the mirror and say, is this core good enough to win it all? Because that's ultimately what they're aiming for. They've proven that they're good enough to make the playoffs. They've done that two years in a row. They're on their way to doing that a third year. Now it's about ending the drought. Now it's about bringing a Stanley Cup back to New York. That is the elephant in the room. That is what everybody is aiming to do. No doubt about it. That's why we saw them go out and, and move heaven and earth to try to bring in Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko and all those guys last year. And that's why I believe you're going to see them aggressive again at the trade deadline this year. But if it doesn't work out, then I think you're going to have to look at that core and, and think about, is this core good enough? A, and then B, if we've decided that this core is not good enough to win it all, what can we do to shake it up? What do we need to do to help this team take the next step? And it's going to be tricky because of all the no movement clauses. You know, guys like Kreider and Truba are going to enter stages where they have partial no movement clauses. So those would maybe be the first two guys that I would look at, even though I think those are really well-respected guys in the locker room. And I think in an ideal world, guys that they would not want to part with. But I think there's going to be some really tough questions asked if this group disappoints again this year. So from that standpoint, I think there's a lot of pressure on them right now because I think the onus now, again, is on this core to show you're not just good enough to make the playoffs anymore. You are a true championship contending core, and we're going to move forward with you guys and continue to try to build around you guys because if it doesn't look like they're good enough to do that, then the question becomes, okay, well, how do we recalibrate? How do we change the dynamic of this core to make them better if they decide that this core isn't the one that's going to get them to the promised land? Makes sense. I was actually going to ask you about the modified no-move clauses because, yeah, those those no-move clauses have kind of, you know, kept this team intact for, for the time being. But, you know, again, another disappointing first-round exit, losing in like five or six games in the first round. And um, it, it's possible Kreider, I, I guess even Truba, could be, you know, the target. I, I would think maybe Kreider over Truba just because Truba is the captain. Um, I'm not campaigning for that at all because I really like Kreider, but it's one of those things where if they keep coming up short, you know, there's only so many changes they can make, and uh, maybe that is one of them. Um, I figure we can end maybe just one more question real quick here, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, this one comes to us from Robert. It's about Kreider. Uh, given the Rangers' need for more fire, grit, intensity, sandpaper, or whatever you wish to call it, why does the press never question the coaching staff on why Kreider 
with his considerable physical attributes and leadership role, is never called upon to play a more physical, tone-setting game. Uh, why does always the free pass apply to Kreider? Kreider could be the X factor for this team, in my opinion, when it comes to being a cup winner or not. So the question is, why don't we question why Kreider isn't more physical? I think so. I think that's what he's going for here, yes. Uh, I, you know, if you've watched Kreider play over the years, I don't know that throwing his body around and throwing a lot of checks is necessarily the strength of his game. The strength of his game, in my mind, is twofold. It's number one, using his speed to push the pace up and down the ice, and number two, doing his magic around the net front, where he's obviously become one of the most effective players in the league. So is he a big, strong guy? Yes. But is he a guy who's been known at any point in his career? Or even if I think back to his college days or his days, you know, with the with Team USA or anything like that, as a guy who threw big thundering checks? I, I don't think that's his game. And to me, also, the idea of like throwing more hits is not necessarily helping the team. In a lot of situations, I think there's a smart way to be physical and a smart way to bring grit, if you want to call it that, and that is working into the high-danger areas in the ice. That's being a real pain in the ass on the forecheck. That's back-checking like your life depends on it. It's doing those things that we know help teams win, but I think just trying to tell a guy he needs to throw hits for the sake of throwing hits, to me, that is not necessarily helping the team. A lot of time, if you're throwing a hit, you're taking yourself out of the play. There's situations where it can be really effective, and Jacob Truba, I believe, is one of the best in the game at doing that, so if there was an extended stretch where it felt like Truba wasn't having those big momentum-altering kind of hits, that would be something that I would feel like was reasonable to question. But Kreider is never a guy who I've seen be known for hits. I don't think that's really a staple of his game. Again, for me, the staples of his game are speed up and down the wing and, and being really effective around the net front. Now, that has been hot and cold, and that's something that we've obviously questioned at times. But you know, as far as like saying that he needs to be a guy who throws more hits... Uh, to me, that's not high on my list of concerns. That makes sense. Uh, I figure we can end on that one, but uh, Vince is a ton of fun as always, and uh, hopefully we can get you in here uh, at least one more time, you know, maybe heading into the playoffs or somewhere around that part of the, the calendar here. Yeah, John, no problem. Sorry, sorry we had to wait an extra week, but thanks for having hey, me. It's all good, man. We made it happen. So, uh, Ranger fans, thank you guys as always for tuning in, and we will see you next time.